But without further ado, uh, we are jumping back into our series on the book of Habakkuk. So if you've joined us the past couple weeks, this is uh, week three now of Habakkuk. And today is a kind of a different passage. Um, We have only four verses that we're going through today, which is pretty abnormal, but they're important. They're foundational for the understanding of this book. Uh, And I think today's structure is going to be a little bit different than how we typically do next, but I'll get to that in a minute. First, to kind of recap where we are at, remember This book is all about Habakkuk coming before God, kind of talking about the people, God's people, that are just not, like, behaving. Like, they're they're not behaving according to the standard that God has established. And so, what, what he's saying is, God, why aren't you doing anything about this? Like, why are you just letting these things happen? Like, you're just letting these things kind of slip by. And then God reveals, don't worry, there is something happening. I'm raising up Babylon who is like the bad guy. And he's going to bring Babylon. He's going to basically teach his people a lesson. Like he's going to show, this is a, I want, I'm actually doing something about this. And that's hard for Habakkuk to stomach. And how do you rationalize that? How do you figure that out? That the enemy is going to be the one that's going to correct the people. And so today we are going to look and kind of see what God's response is to Habakkuk. Remember, Pastor Jared left it last week saying Habakkuk is going to sit at a watchtower, air quotes, like at a watchtower, and wait for God's response because he knows that God isn't going to take a long time. So what we're going to do today, uh, instead of like kind of doing like some sort of like illustration or something to fill you guys in. Every table has the passage uh, there. What I'm going to do is I'm going to put a five-minute timer up, and you guys are going to spend some time reading the passage at your tables, and I want you guys to share with one another what are some snippets, some takeaways. What do you think that the passage is trying to tell you or tell us as the readers? Um, I think it's a particularly difficult passage. It can be kind of hard. And I want you guys to kind of investigate for yourselves first before we jump into it. So I'm going to give you guys five minutes. I'm going to put a timer up on the screen. At the end of that five minutes, I'll come back up here and kind of bring us together and we'll continue. All right? So jump right on those tables. All right. So I hope that was good discussion. I hope it was fruitful. Um, I wanted to hear some of your responses, but I also want to be conscious of time and want to give you guys time in small groups. So uh, I'm going to encourage you that the conversation that you had at your table, points, ideas, things like that, bring those up in your small group later. Um, I think those would be beneficial for uh, you guys to talk about and kind of work through if there's maybe different views or concerns or uh, confusion. But I want to jump right in and kind of dive in and kind of see what this is looking at, what this passage is saying. So it's like I said, it's a short passage, right? It's not, there's not much here. Typically when I'm up here, I have like 10 verses to work with. So I was trying to figure out what's, why, remember, why in the, why did I break this down this way? Because I broke this down like probably back in May. So I couldn't remember why I was doing it. Now I do. Um, But kind of looking at this and remembering where we're coming from, that he's waiting for his response from the Lord. He's waiting to see what God is going to say and how God is going to respond. In the first part, the first two verses say, and the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so that he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits, it's appointed time. It hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come, it will not delay. All right, so this first part that we see here, 
Largely what that's pointing to is the fact that God's about to give this vision. He's about to give this prophecy. And Habakkuk better write this down. Like he's got to put this down somewhere because this has got to go to people. Somebody's got to take it and like literally run with it. Like go and show people. Go tell people. Bring it to other people. And what God is about to give is going to be important. This is something that God values. This is something that God is saying they need to hear this. The people need to hear this. And ultimately, he says that the vision awaits as a point in time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. That there is something, there's a vision that's coming. Something is going to happen. God is delivering something. He is showing something. And whether this thing comes in two hours, whether it comes true or in, for a long time, it will happen. And when it's supposed to happen, it won't delay. It is going to happen. And so he, God is kind of setting up what's coming. And Pastor Sean, next week, he's going to come back and he's going to tell us the rest about chapter 2 and a lot more about what this passage kind of holds on to. But today, as we're looking at this, the important part, the thing I really want you guys to see is what's coming up in this next section. And this is where it gets a little hard. This is where it gets a little confusing, but it sets up some of the themes for the book of Habakkuk. So it says, Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he, shall never, he has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collect, collects as his own all peoples. Okay, so this is a little weird. It's a little, it's a little hard to understand. The wording is kind of funny. The way that I have it put on the screens is probably not the best way. The way that it's structured on your sheet is better. This is, you have to read this like it's poetry, like it's song, like it's something that, that is being delivered, that's ultimately something that's being given in a poetic way. So it's structured in that way specifically. And this is kind of where our structure will probably look a little bit different than how I normally do next, or how I at least normally teach when I'm up here, because we have to investigate a little bit. I want to look at this with you guys. I want to show you kind of what I've dug into. First thing is that in this passage, there's a lot of he's and him's. Like, what does that mean? Why are there so many he's and him's? Is this all one person? Is it multiple people? Is it not one person? Is it like maybe poetic, you know? What does this mean? When we look at this and we see the structure, we're seeing that it's pretty much talking about two different, two different people, right? There's somebody that's arrogant. There's somebody that's upright, arrogant. They're puffed up. Like, they have wine. Like, that death is never enough. That he just wants to conquer people. And then there's the one that's mentioned. But the righteous shall live by his faith. But the righteous shall live by his faith. So it's safe to see and it's safe to assume that we're talking about two different kinds of people. The one that's going to be puffed up, the one that's kind of arrogant, the one that's self-centered, probably Babylon. We're going to have to wait and see what Sean says next week. Uh, and then the other one that is the one that is the good, the righteous, the one that is following by faith. But the question here, and the thing that like, I've looked and I've read a few different books, a few different commentaries, and this is where it gets a little confusing. This is where things kind of get a little tripped up. Is it says, but the righteous shall live by his faith. What does that mean? Well, one option that I've seen is that the righteous shall live by his own faith. So 
His being the persons, the individuals, his faith that he has, that she has, that the person has, that the righteous person will be alive, that they will live, and that they will live their life according to his own faith. Or, but the righteous shall live by his faith, meaning like God's faith, God's faithfulness. The word that's used there can be translated a few different ways. That's where we get, kind of get stuck as a translator in translations. We have to kind of figure out and do some investigating of what that means. So when we look at this, we have to ask, what does it mean? Like, is it talking about God? And is the, is the righteous person or the righteous people, are they going to live because of God's faithfulness? Or is it because of that individual's own faith? Well, we have the benefit of seeing that this isn't the only place that this phrase is used in the Bible. This is quoted multiple times throughout the New Testament. So what I want to do is look at the New Testament context, see how the New Testament, see how Paul uses it, and as well as the writer of Hebrews, uh, in those specific contexts to maybe help us get a better picture of what's actually happening in this passage. So the first place that I want to look is Romans chapter 1. See, in Romans chapter 1, we're going to see kind of how Paul uses this quote. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. And it is written, The righteous shall live by faith. So what's talking about here is Paul is referencing the fact that the righteous man, the faithful man, he will receive righteousness through the faith that we have received from God. Through the faith that we have received from God. What Paul is outlining here is something called justification. That's a big word. It's kind of like a Bible-y, like church word. It's something that is used in a lot of like theology stuff but it's important. It's an important part of how we understand our salvation. And so, when we look at this, he's outlining justification. That is the viewing and imputation. It's a word you use every day, right? Imputation of righteousness that man receives because of Christ's work on the cross. Let me read that one more time. It's the viewing and imputation of righteousness that man receives because of Christ's work on the cross. See, man receives righteousness from the faithfulness of God, as well as the faith that was bestowed upon him from God. You confused yet? So, kind of what we're looking at here is, you have to remember, we are fallen, we are sinful. Faith is not something that we can have on our own. When given the chance, we would choose sinfulness over faith. That's part of our nature. We would choose sinfulness over following God. So we need faithfulness. We need faith that comes first from God. And when we receive that faith from God, if you are a true believer, then righteousness comes. So the first thing is that the righteousness that man receives is from the faith that man receives from God. So if we look at the Habakkuk passage, we see a little bit of both then. It's both God's faithfulness as well as the faithfulness or the faith that man has given from God it makes righteousness. So we're going to look at another passage here, Galatians 3. Galatians 3, again, by Paul. Paul is using this again, and he's talking about the relationship between faith and righteousness. So Galatians 3 says, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. 
For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. See, what's revealed here is the fact that through the new covenant, through Christ's work on the cross, the law no longer holds us. We're no longer slaves to the law, meaning that we no longer have to do everything that the law says in order to receive life, in order to receive righteousness. That comes from Christ's work on the cross. That when we receive that righteousness, remember, through justification, where we have imputated righteousness, God views us as righteous, through a glorious exchange, which is an amazing concept that would take a lot more that would take a lot longer to talk about. We receive righteousness, and because we are righteous, we are justified. God sees us as righteous. He sees us as people that are worthy of being in his presence because of Christ's work on the cross. That when we look at this passage in Habakkuk, that those that have faith, that those are received by faith, are counted as righteous. They're seen as righteous. But it's an important distinction that I want to get back to in a minute. But remember, you are justified by the righteousness you received by faith. All right? It's like a math problem. We're seeing the pieces kind of fall into place here. Who's confused? Is everybody okay? Everybody still here? Everybody awake? All right, cool. It's, I know it's been a long day, but this is important stuff, so I want to make sure I get to it. The last thing we're going to look at is Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10 is a kind of, the whole book of Hebrews is important to kind of see the importance of Christ's work, but it's also a perfect ending, this perfect like bow on this wrapper of how we understand justification. So let's look at Hebrews 10 here, starting verse 36. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. This passage is very similar to the early, earlier part of our Habakkuk passage. It's the encouragement of patience, the encouragement of waiting to see what's coming, the encouragement of what God has given us, and to wait to see it come to full fruition. But the, when we see this passage... It's talking about endurance. To look for and see that the fact that you're justified should give you confidence. The fact that God sees you as righteous because of Christ's work should give you confidence that until the end of the days, until his promises are fulfilled, that he has your back. He is there for you. Those who are justified should be confident in the righteousness that they have received that you have received righteousness, that God sees you as righteous, he counts you as righteous, so he has got your back. He will be there for you. He will be there for you in the long run. So, remember, we received faith from God, we received righteousness through that faith, and we are justified through that righteousness. And when we think about this Habakkuk passage, when we think about what's going on here, This is in the midst of all of these things happening, in the midst of the hardships that Habakkuk is going to face, in the midst of the hardships that his people are going to face, in the midst of the hardships that that God is going to see his people go through. God is saying that those of you that are faithful, you will be okay. And we have to remember that the context for this, this is before Jesus with Habakkuk. This is before 
there is any sort of new covenant, that God is, that the law is still in effect here. But the emphasis that's saying, that what God is saying here, of what he's telling Habakkuk, is that those that are faithful, God sees that. That sure, the law is important, God is just. That's why there has to be a justification for you to be with him. But the thing that God sees is most important is our heart, is our faith. That when we push through the hardships, when we push through the hard things, God has our back. That when you are faced with hard things in your life, instead of slinking back and saying, God doesn't care about me, he sees you when you pursue him just like he pursued you first. That he sees that when you are trying, when you want to draw closer to him, when you want to give your everything for him, he sees that. And this isn't me promising relief. This isn't me saying, oh, when life gets really hard, if you're faithful, life gets really easy. That's not how it works. But what I'm saying is that we have something greater to look forward to, and we have a God that was faithful to us first, and he sees our faithfulness in response. See, those who are truly righteous are guaranteed life with the faith that he has from God. God sees your faithfulness. God sees the way that you're using the gift that he has given you. And he wants you to draw to him. He wants you to desire him. And just like he's encouraging Habakkuk saying that those that are faithful, that they are righteous, that the righteous man will live by his faith. He will strive on. But it's first from the faith that God has shown us. So this is kind of heavy. This is, like, this is like deep stuff. This is a little bit harder, some of these things. And when you go into small groups, talk about some of the stuff. See maybe if you can lay out some of these things. Um, let, see if like maybe I just don't understand what justification is. I don't really understand what this is. Talk about it. But I also really want you to see that justification, that God views us as righteous, is a blessing. That we don't deserve it. We could never, ever choose faith out of our own volition. But we have been blessed with faith. We've been blessed with righteousness. We've been given the opportunity at life. And because of Christ's work on the cross, he views us as justified. He views us as somebody that is clean. And that's a blessing. Let me pray for you guys and we'll go to small groups. Lord, I thank you for today. Lord, I thank you, uh, thank you for the patience in this room, the, the hearts in this room, and keeping them awake uh, to hear and to hopefully receive the word from you. Um, Lord, these are difficult things, and there are things that maybe we can't wrap our heads around 110%, but we can see that you have justified us, that because of Christ's work on the cross, we can have faith. And because of that, we can be viewed as righteous. We can have righteousness. And because of that, we are justified in your eyes. And ultimately, Lord, give us grateful hearts, hearts that long after you, and the hearts that when times get tough, when the struggle is real, that we can look to you and we can strive after you with everything that we have because we want to be faithful. And whatever we have, Lord, whatever our struggle is in this room, help us to bring it out in small groups, maybe talk about it, figure out what it looks like to actually pursue you more and spend time praying about that. And ultimately, Lord, we lift these things up and we're able to pray and come before you because of your son and his work on the cross. And I pray, amen.